before I make any comments, I'm going to do this. I'm going to read to you an email that over the last short time, uh, within the last week or so, has been sent to the three senior elders of the congregations of Antioch and to the rest of the executive council. So I'm reading. To the senior elders of the congregations of, Ant- congregations of Antioch and to the full Antioch Executive Council who are responsible for providing oversight for Antioch and all that takes place here. As the Bishop of Antioch and at the direction of the Holy Ghost, I am requesting the following to be submitted to the October 19th AEC meeting. I'm requesting a presentation of your progress towards or your proposal for addressing the following apostolic objectives and biblical mandates of Jesus that you and your ministry team have made or are making. Number one, what is your proposed plan for moving away from the traditional religious emphasis on church service invitational evangelism as being the primary, if not the sole method for preaching the gospel to the lost? While it is biblically mandated for the body of Christ to gather slash assemble together, the Greek word for the word that's translated church literally means the assembly of the called out ones. There is no, so I'm going back, that was a parenthesis, so let me go back and begin the sentence again. While it is biblically mandated for the body of Christ to gather and assemble together, there is no scriptural evidence that the first century church gathered for the purpose of inviting people to their gathering so that they could hear the gospel. In order to be in harmony with the Bible, the primary purpose of our gatherings needs to be for prayer, spiritual fellowship, discipleship, equipping for ministry, and oversight, as will be referenced in question two. Biblically, there is no liturgy parentheses, church service format implied anywhere in Scripture. Let me add here that since Paul said that we are to be all things to all men, that by all means we might save some, and the Bible states that we should give a little to seven and also to eight in our sowing, there is no expectation from anyone that all church services be eliminated, quote, unquote, church services be eliminated. There are, there's no expectation. There are and probably always will be people that can only be reached by church, the church service method. Uh, we're all things to all men, men. And if that's the way some have to be reached, then we will have church services regularly, at least once a week to do that. Okay. However, the primary emphasis of our structure and methodology of ministry must be changed to that which does not allow our members to define their Christianity by church service participation, but by involvement directly or indirectly in the spreading of the gospel outside of our facilities. This needs to be the case, even if it would mean that initially these changes would precipitate a sifting of the body. Question two, 
What is your proposed plan for implementing the fulfillment of Ephesians 4, 11 and 12? And I know you've heard this recently, but I'm reading because it's in the letter or the email. He that, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Weist's New Testament expanded translation reads this way. And he himself gave some, on the one hand, as apostles, and on the other hand, as prophets, and still again, some as bringers of good news, and finally, some as pastors who are also teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for ministering work, with a view to the building up of the body of Christ. So specifically, what is your plan for developing ministers for oversight of the body of Christ and for fully equipping the saints to do the work of their ministry? What changes to your church service schedule and the emphasis of those services, gatherings, which you do have, do you plan to make in order to better facilitate the fulfillment of this clearly specified scriptural goal? As I have declared many times, the body of Christ cannot be built from a church service pulpit. Biblically, sheep produce sheep, not shepherds. The traditional structure where people are invited to church so the preacher can preach the gospel to them is trying to make a shepherd the father of sheep. And it works just enough for us to hang on to it. But it's not working to fulfill the the mandate to preach the gospel to every creature. Furthermore, what is your plan for getting the saints involved in ministry outside of our church service slash church calendar culture and involved in the work of the kingdom of God while emphasizing their biblical responsibility to freely give what they freely received? Finally, when we obey what is itemized in these verses, Paul guaranteed the following results. Ephesians 4.16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working of the measure of every body, every part, maketh the increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. We expand the translation, reads this way. From whom all the body constantly being knit together through every joint of supply, according to the operative energy put forth to the capacity of each part, makes for increased growth of the body, resulting in the building up of itself in the sphere of love. Now, let me just comment a moment here before I continue reading with my epistle here. (laughs) After 49 years of ministry, I think I've got enough experience to speak to this. I have watched people come to God excited about what has happened to them and what he's doing. And I've watched the church service culture kill it. While they sit and are uninvolved 
the desire to be involved is quenched. And then we become takers, not givers. We become spectators. Not because we're bad people. Not because we don't love God. Not because what's happened to us isn't real. But the structure and the culture kills what God birthed in you. That's why a lot of people, way too many people, over a period of time, become less and less satisfied because there's no, there's no joy in passivity. There's no joy in inactivity. There's no joy when the, the, the Bible says it's more blessed to give than receive. And, and we always think that's talking about money. Money is the least. That's no big deal. But when you're not in a structure that gives you the opportunity to give, you begin to be less and less satisfied with Jesus. And you begin to look for other ways to quench what God already filled. Number three, what is your proposed plan for abiding by and fulfilling any elements of the DNA of Antioch, which is a document that's available if you're interested, that are not being addressed by yourself, your leadership, your ministers, your saints, your congregation? Specifically, how do you plan to implement and utilize the revelation of the use of houses, homes, as one of the primary focuses of New Testament evangelism? That has been a revelation of Antioch since 1982. Number four, what is your, what is your proposed plan? For getting the body of Christ, the Lord's laborers, out of the barn, the church facility, and into the field, which is the world, as the focus of their activities and their ministerial efforts. In the context of this question, any and everything that can be done to get people involved in doing ministry, rather than sitting passively receiving ministry, <clears throat> will, will accelerate their personal growth, development, and maturity. People will always more quickly take ownership of that which they have a personal investment and involvement in rather than that which is simply done for them. Number five, what is your plan for utilizing and involving every minister and leader under your oversight in preaching the gospel outside of church services slash the church building? Overseeing a department or being part of your organizational structure does not qualify as fulfilling this scriptural expectation. While their involvement in these areas may be needed for your structure to function, this type of involvement does not fulfill their calling. The responsibility of every oversight ministry is to employ every minister in actual ministry of the word, regardless of what it takes to accomplish that. Since each of our locations only has one pulpit, logistically that must take place outside of our services. The question for you to answer is, how? 
Those individuals who are willing, unwilling to be involved either need to have their license revoked, either UPCI or AML, Antioch Ministerial License, or they need to become personally responsible for paying their own dues and budget fees. The first option is the preferable one. Because if you have a call, it won't let you sit. Number six question. How do you plan to change the emphasis in people's saints leaders' minds from being involved in facility-focused and or church service-focused and or inward body, inward body-directed ministry uh, activities and minimizing their, their time commitment to and involvement with these ministry activities so that they will have sufficient time to be directly involved with souls? As oversight leaders, shepherds of God's flock, we're not only to be good stewards of our own time, but we are responsible for leading our people to be good shepherds, good stewards of their time, helping them to prioritize the use of their time in whatever type of ministries or church activities in which they're involved is essential to their willing participation in God's plan for our congregations. The obvious statement would be uh, that People who are overwhelmed with time commitment expectations over and above their personal time requirements will either refuse to be involved or they will be involved with a wrong attitude because they feel pressured to do so. Neither of these are acceptable with Jesus. Saints, leaders, ministers who are involved in too many different ministries and church responsibilities do none of them well. Everyone must be led to focus, even if that means that some ministries must be shut down for a time due, uh, for, for the time being due to the lack of staffing because people are becoming focused. Ultimately, we all need to be more focused in our efforts. Number seven and last question. What is your plan? To emphasize that the body of Christ is first and foremost called to be a house of prayer. And how and when is corporate prayer, where at least two or three are gathered together to pray, uh, how, how and when is corporate prayer being in, in, included in your structure so that all of your ministries, leaders, ministers, leaders, and saints will be led by the Spirit and or directed by you to participate? I'm going to read just a little bit more of this letter and then I'm going to comment or got a couple of things I need to say to you. Let me conclude this communication by saying this. As the Bishop of Antioch, I have been ministering all of these things to the, to the degree of my revelation of them at any particular time for over 40 years. None of this is new. None of this is new. We just haven't known what to do about it. So we've made incremental changes. Well, starting in January of last year, we realized that we were at a place in time in God where incremental isn't going to get it done anymore. However, as you all know, these things have been the majority, the major focus of what the Spirit of the Lord has been saying through me to the body of Christ everywhere that he's been sending me these last several years especially. 
I have been waiting, quote unquote, for each of you, and I'm speaking to these senior leaders now, to come to this on your own and at your own time. However, the Lord has made it abundantly clear to me that I'm not doing my job as bishop. For this, I repent to you. Please forgive me. I have left you hanging out to dry. This document is what I feel directed to do to rectify my shortcomings in providing the general oversight that is my God-ordained responsibility. And there's other things there just for time's sake. I'm not going to read all that. What am I saying to you? We have three different congregations. They're in three completely different circumstances. You were all given a chance to not come here. You were all given a chance to go to one of the other congregations. By coming here, whether you knew it or not, you put yourself in a place where you this is the ideal place to start. You don't have a facility. As much as we appreciate the use of this facility, you do not have a traditional church facility. So you're in a position where you can be led to become truly apostolic. Now I'm going to say this to you, okay? There's just a little bit too much attitude going on. <laughs> uh, like those who tweet or post, West is best. I don't know what your attitude or motive is for that. But it's divisive. It's not you saying, I'm thankful that God has trusted me to come to West. It's you saying, if you're not at West, you're not a part of anything happening. That's judgmental. It's divisive. It's human ego. And it's wrong. Giving a testimony is one thing. But saying to the rest of you folks, I feel sorry that you aren't where we are. Well, some of you right now is not so sure you want to be here. Well, guess what? This is the bishop talking. If you don't want to do this, you're still a part of Antioch. You see your pastor, and he will begin the process to make the transfer happen. So you can go to either one of the other two congregations. No problem. Slight problem, though. They, too, are going to be making significant adjustments. To this degree, probably not. Why? Well, because each, each of these three congregations are in completely different circumstances and situations. Each leader has their own particular giftings, their own particular personality, and the team working with them is different, and the circumstances is different. Uh, whether you know this or not, uh, the location in Arnold is still considered, from a United Pentecostal Church perspective, to be the primary location of Antioch, the Apostolic Church. And I can tell you now that while... Central will be doing some 
of this in some way, more than likely, unless the pastor absolutely insists, which I don't think he's going to, uh, they will not stop having two services a Sunday. Now, you can't come here Sunday morning and go over there Sunday night. If you're going over there on Sunday night instead of going to a group transfer, I'm not being unkind. That doesn't get it. Okay? That, that doesn't work. Why? Because <laughs> you need to be where you're going to be. You need to be involved where you're going to be involved. You need to be a part of what you're going to be a part of. Now, I'm sitting here looking. You know, I know, I know you're starting. How many groups? 10, 12, 13, 12, 13, somewhere in there, okay? I see standing right here 50 people that with some minimal amount of true commitment and involvement in submitting to training, etc., that could easily be leading a group by the end of next year. I'm not talking about attending. I said leading. Now it's easier for me to speak bigger than your pastor. Because the bigger he speaks, the more pressure he feels. <laughs> so he's looking for there to be 200 or Three or four hundred or whatever by the end of next year. I tell you what, there really isn't anything that would surprise me. Let me tell you the only limit on what God's going to do among you. The number of available leaders capable of spiritual maturity enough to lead 20 people. And I'm going to say that to you, this to you. That's not necessarily the, the role that someone has to be called to preach to do. And I'll say this also to you. That is not necessarily the role of just someone who is male. There... I know you're starting with at least one female leader. Two? Awesome. Jesus is an equal opportunity employer. What he's doing, he's just looking for people that are willing to be employed on his terms, not your terms. So, Here's what I'm doing here. Did I tell your pastor to do this? No. No, I didn't. No. No. His brother is like his mother. They're very deliberate. Um, <laughs> they're, they are pastors. They are. They're pastors. They have a pastoral heart. Let's don't stir the sheep up. Let's keep everything calm for the sheep. Well, some sheep need stirred up. Okay? 
And there are some folks that need they, they need it calm. Others, if you needed it calm, you would have never stayed at West, no matter what you think. So in case, I'm going to say this again, uh, you know, I uh, he's not going to take it personal. If this just isn't going to work for you, then you either need to go to Central or North, one or the other. You're welcome to go to either. But it starts, transfers don't start by you going and trying them out. They start by you approaching your, your pastor and saying, I think I'd like to go to something that's not going to be quite so different than what I'm used to. He won't take offense by that. We have, I've acknowledged for years, and I've said this to AEC many times. I accepted many, many, many years ago there's some people that could go to heaven from a church pastored by somebody different than me that would have a hard time going to heaven from the church I pastored. That's absolutely the truth. That doesn't offend me of the least. There are, it's always been the case. There's some people that flourished after they left Antioch because there was too much expectation here. There's always expectation. Nah, not near enough, but as much as we could get by with. What is happening right now, and I and the other two groups are going to be their pace and change is going to be a little different. Okay? It is not your right to evangelize people to come to this group so they can be a part of this. It's not your right. I'm happy for you to be excited about being a part of this, if you are. And I'm happy for you to be excited about what God's going to do through your group, which I hope you will be. But when you tell it, you tell it as a testimony, not a, oh, I feel so sorry for you. You don't get to do what we do. You mean to say you're still going to church on Sunday night. You poor thing. Right? No, seriously. What, what would be the motive in that? It's not a positive motive. God's got people where they need to be. Right. So my point to you one more time is, while this sounds strange, <laughs> we've been heading here since 1982. Why haven't we gotten here before now? Because it hasn't been God's timing. 1982. We started groups we call care groups. Those of you that were a part of those care groups the first few years, you will acknowledge to everybody else here that the way those groups function is the, is the same way these groups are going to function. That over the years, we changed. It just kind of morphed into a different approach. Well, I'm here to tell you something right now. The new approach didn't work. It's hard to get people involved in them. And most of those groups become turned inward. 
they have become, they, they became turned inward. Very few of the groups over the last 20 years have ever truly evangelized. Well, you know, <laughs> there is a joy that comes from being a part of a harvest. Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you that it, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. That's different. There's not the same joy. It's two different joys. His joy is the joy of the Lord that you can have regardless of your circumstances. But your joy is the joy you have when you're a part of seeing things happen and lives affected in the kingdom of God. Your pastor and I, for better or for worse, have a very similar personality. I was telling someone just a little while ago, you know, he said, well, my, my wife, she, she can't see the future. She can't see things. Oh, Lord, when we first, when mine, mine and I, my wife and I first got married, I got so frustrated with how long it took her to make a decision, I just make it and move on because I was too stupid to realize my impatience wasn't perceived in a positive way. She put up with it. It means she liked it. So I began, took me a long time because I'm pretty thick. I'm, I'm pretty thick-headed. took me a long time to realize I needed to give her the, or let her have the right. She had the right, but I needed to get out of the way of her right to decide things that had to do with her. I don't really care what color the walls are. The only reason that the house looked like it did for over a decade is because we were building and decisions had to be made, and I made them. But if you've been in our house, the family room doesn't look anywhere close to what it did before. <laughs> before it was gold carpet and blue furniture. Beige walls with a navy blue accent wall. All of the furniture was light maple. The tile has basically blue. The walls in the eating area in the family room, light blue with a dark blue accent wall. She picked all that, right? So we started at one end over the last several years. And she started changing. And when she changed, she got as far from that as she could get. So we've had this dining room table, or not dining room, this family room or family eating area table that will hold all of us for 14 years. And it's gotten scratched up and all this. And she started talking three years ago. <laughs> three years ago about doing something about it. And I learned the hard way I was supposed to listen and not do anything about it. Because in our early marriage, if she brought something like that up, 
I was thinking she meant she wanted me to fix it. She wasn't wanting me to fix it. She was wanting me to listen. So we started three years ago. And I just gritted my teeth and just kept my mouth shut, see. Well, finally, finally, about a year ago, we began, she made up her mind. I'm ready to do something about this table. Okay. It took us nine months to decide whether we were going to have it restained or painted. Nine months. It took us three more months to decide the color. Well, now she's decided she wants the walls in there that are light blue changed colors. You don't know the stress. We got sample paint splotches painted all over those walls, about six or eight different colors all over the place because she's got to see it. And even seeing it, it's hard to decide. You know how long it takes me to make a decision like that? If it's five minutes, I'm slow. I like that. That works. Let's do that now. Let's do something else. That's done. Let's do this. Well, you know what? I have told her repeatedly. Well, what do you think? I like them both. It's your house. I don't care which one you pick. But I don't know. You'll know when you're ready. Okay? So, what I have been amazed at is how deliberate and restrained he's been. You think he's going 90 miles an hour? No. This has been, he's been very deliberate and restrained. I will also say this to you. There's not one step of this process he didn't voluntarily come to me over and consult with me about. He's not doing this on his own. He's not off on some tangent. God has set this up to be the beginning of the transformation of Antioch to an apostolic church. God is delivering us from the spirit of religious tradition. We're going to be apostolic. Now, as he's already said this evening, we all think we won't apostolic till we know which sacred cow ends up dead that we loved. Right. And then, then we all have our test and trial. Trust me. Every child of God that's connected with Antioch, regardless of which congregation, is going to face their own trials in this. Do you know what mine was? My trial was for 35 years. Well, technically, it wouldn't have been 35. It would have been the last 25, 26. The last 26 years I pastored, I was required by God to continue to function in a structure I no longer believed in and had no confidence in it working. That was my test of faith. 
because he would not let it ch- me change it my way on my time. That was my test of faith. And now for many people, their test of faith is going to be having to give up that which they're comfortable with and move into an area where they're not comfortable. Everybody has a test of faith. Brother, I can't believe you said that. (laughs) If you've listened a long time, I didn't just say that tonight. I've been saying that a long, long time. Why haven't we done anything before now? Because there has not been direction from the Holy Ghost to do that. Edmund. So I really appreciate what I feel in the spirit here. There's some folks that are on board. They see this. Yes, this is going to work. Yes. And then there's others saying, well, I don't really see this, but I'm going to trust. And I'm going to cooperate. And I'll just have to see how this goes. Don't forget. Jesus loved John, who easily believed. Well, excuse me. He 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 loved Thomas, who did not easily believe just as much as he loved John, who did. Some folks can see believe without seeing, and other folks who are just as good a people, God loves them just as much, but they've got to see. To believe. And that's what's going to happen here. That's what's going to happen. So. I I do want you to pray for. Sister Kate Wright. Uh, Let me just tell you a little bit that she. That neither he nor her would say. Especially. With her here. Uh, you may or may not know some of this, but she was called 2 o'clock in the morning a week ago, two weeks ago yesterday, and was told her dad had had a massive heart attack. They had tickets for her to leave by like 9 o'clock in the morning Sunday, which meant my wife and I, who were on our way to General Conference last that Sunday morning, ended up we canceled our trip and stayed here to, to help relieve her mind to help with the babies. Uh, my wife, we I knew the strain, not, not in a negative sense, but in a good sense, that he was under with all of this and that he was in the middle of this. And for, for him to have to take total care of those children during this time was going to set you guys back. So I'm on the general board. I was supposed to be at general conference. But we, she stayed for the babies. I stayed for her and him. We didn't go. And uh, when the babies got up, and I know they're a little older than babies to you, but they're babies to her, trust me. When they got up Sunday morning, her, their mother was gone. And their grandmother was the one sitting downstairs when they came downstairs. And... Uh, Brother Shara's mother, who's 93, I think it is, she's, they've been expecting, she's in the hospice, they've been expecting her to die. So Hope is the one that said, my, my mother went out for Poppy's mom. 
Well, they didn't correct that. They, they, they didn't lie to them, but they didn't they let them think that because we didn't know what was going to happen, how long it was going to go on, whatever. So, so Kate gets to uh, Billings, Montana at 1 o'clock in the afternoon Sunday, which was 3 o'clock here. And she was there to see her dad. That week, things were, if she averaged two hours sleep a night, I'd be shocked. It was so up and down. I mean, they kept giving them, one doctor would give them bad news. They must have did, well, I know three major surgeries on him. And then there were several other times they went in. And every time before they do that, they had the family come in and say bye again. They must have said bye to him six or seven times, literally. Well, you can imagine that roller coaster. So they say bye because the doctor says he's probably not coming out of it. Then he does come out of it, and then they don't know whether to be relieved or what. And so, you know, that's why the testimony, if you were there yesterday, uh, that was given by one of her sisters was that the Lord allowed all this to go on long enough that each one of them got their own personal word from God that it was they needed to let him go the Lord was in control. So the point I'm making to you is that from the time she left here Sunday morning till the time that her dad was declared dead on Saturday, it had been one week of nothing but drama and major, major stress. And so then she stayed for the memorial service out there. It was on Tuesday night and trying to deal with family situations and dynamics and all that stuff. So uh, I'm not minimizing the situation she's in. She's exhausted mentally and emotionally and uh, not spiritually. I don't believe she's exhausted spiritually because uh, I checked with her several times every day, and she really did have peace. So she's got peace now. But, well, I won't go into all the details of the story. The sources of the current stress, but uh, you really need you, you do need to pray for her. She wants to be in the big middle of this. If you know her at all, she wants to be here for you. And when she's not here for you, she feels like she's failing miserably. Oh God, I, I wish I had a hundred dollars for every time I've had that conversation. I'd be a very wealthy man over the last. <laughs> Uh, 14 years. <laughs> Praise God. But thankfully, uh, she and I have been close enough that I have been her other dad for a long time. And uh, actually, we had this relationship from long before they were even married. And so... Uh, I can't tell you how excited I am about you and how how this is going. I, I can't tell you that. I don't have words to express that. Um, from a very personal standpoint, it's a big sigh of relief for me after all these years where I can say, finally. 
some of, a few of you were here then, but most of you have heard of the two years of revival we had in 80 and 81 where we prayed through at Antioch, 1,585 people in two years, 551 in 80 and 1,034 in 81. Let me tell you what I wrote down today that the Lord said to me. In 80 and 81, God did not teach us how to have harvest. He taught us how not to have harvest. He showed us that when your focus is church service evangelism, it just can't get it done. How, how we kept going, I don't know. People were exhausted, but God was moving and things were happening. And that kept your spiritual adrenaline moving so you could stay involved. But whenever there was a break, people were just wiped out. But people were getting saved. and So you couldn't justify not having church because we're, people are coming to church. And We had one revival that was 11 weeks long, five services a week. And then the second revival was seven weeks long, five services a week. And the third revival was nine weeks long, five services a week. And it was, when we stopped that last revival, it was two weeks into December. And people were, we were supposed to start back up in January. And the evangelist had been going home for Christmas a week. And I called him up and I said, I don't want to be offensive to you, but we can't keep keep doing this. We can't go on. I'm sorry. If I've left you hanging, I'll do what I can to make up for the lost income till you can get something else scheduled, but we can't do this. We can't keep doing this. You pray all those people through and you're having church. How do you connect with people through church? How do you disciple people through just having church? So what that means is there were a lot of those folks, and we've got names and addresses and phone numbers from way back then for every one of those individuals. That's not an estimate. That 11-week revival, we prayed through 405 people in 11, week, in 11 weeks. And at the beginning of that year, we started that revival on March the 13th. At the beginning of that year, January of 1980, we were running 125 people on Sunday nights. This crowd right here is bigger than than our faithful group on Sunday nights, and that group had 405 people receive the Holy Ghost in 11 weeks. Can you imagine the strain they were under? In most nights, we had more people to work to pray for on the altar than we had skilled altar workers pray with them. There's no telling how many people would have gotten the Holy Ghost if we'd have had enough trained altar workers. We had some services where the sinners outnumbered us three and four to one. That wasn't God's plan. And he was gracious enough to let us live it so we could know that's not the way it works. This will work. This will work. This will work. This will work. 
And you know what's absolutely so awesome about it? I've told the story, and I'm not going to tell it because it's time to quit. But uh, I remember the first time I stood on the steps of a baptistry as a midshipman and watched the first guy that I had witnessed to wanted to be baptized. And I watched him go down to the water. He'd never been in, a, in a, any kind of Pentecostal service at all. He'd never heard anybody speak in tongues. He'd never seen anybody worship the way we do. He went down in that water. He came up. He was one of the shyest human beings I'd ever met. His name was Dwayne Ammerman. He was from Altoona, Pennsylvania. He, he came up out of the water without anybody telling his, him his hand shot straight up in the air. He began to say words. I don't know who taught him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. In about 30 seconds, he started speaking tongues, even though he'd never heard anybody speak in tongues. And I'm standing on those steps knowing it wasn't a preacher that did this. It wasn't a church that did this. The only way this man even knows this is because he listened to what I told him. And my whole life changed standing on those steps. Because at that point was the first time I'd ever really felt the joy, the absolute unadulterated joy of seeing somebody saved I'd been involved with. That's not just for preachers, folks. That's not just for preachers. And the the more of us who can experience that personally, the better it is. Because I don't need somebody to motivate me to be a part of this. I don't need somebody to motivate me to be committed because I can remember the feeling. That day, I gave my whole life, that day, a full year and a half before graduation, I knew that my life would never be the same and my priorities would never be the same because I wanted to experience that every opportunity I could, not selfishly because I knew that feeling was a a product of somebody finding Jesus for themselves. Father, I thank you so very much for all that you have done and all that you're doing. I thank you for this group, these wonderful people. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I take dominion and authority over every vestige of the spirit of religious tradition that might be attempting to affect any one of us. I command you to loose our hearts, our souls, our minds, our spirits. I loose the spirit of truth. I loose the spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of God and of his ways in this group so that we would understand and see the place you have for us in you, Father, that we might be a part of you and we might see all that you have promised to do in these last days. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity. Thank you, Father. Lead and guide each one of us to be a part in our, to, to find our place and to be a part of what you have, what you're doing here, that we might, that you might be glorified through our 
lives and efforts in Jesus' name.